This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. In September of 1940, Witold Pilecki, a Polish army captain, did the unthinkable. He snuck into Auschwitz. Plecki knew that something was terribly wrong with the concentration camp, and as a committed Christian and a Polish patriot, he couldn't sit by and watch. He wanted to get information on the horrors of Auschwitz, but he knew he could only do that from the inside. So he devised a daring plan. A false identity card was produced with a Jewish name. Then he allowed Germans to arrest him during a routine Warsaw Street Roundup. He was sent to Auschwitz and assigned an inmate number, number 4859. Pilecki, a husband and father of two, later said, I bade farewell to everything I had known on this earth. He became just like any other prisoner, despised, beaten, and threatened with death. He says, quote, The game I was now playing at Auschwitz was dangerous. In fact, I had gone far beyond what people in the real world would consider dangerous. He organized inmates into resistance units. He boosted camp morale and documented war crimes. He used couriers to smuggle out detailed uh, reports on the atrocities. In spring of 1943, he joined the camp bakery, where he was able to overpower a guard and escape. One contemporary Jewish journalist summarized his life. Once he set his mind to the good, he never wavered. He never stopped. He crossed the great human divide that separates knowing the right thing from doing the right thing. The Polish ambassador to the United States was quoted as describing him as a diamond among Polish heroes of World War II. What an amazing story. What kind of person, what kind of man would sneak in to a death camp, a concentration camp, would be willing to risk and, if need be, give his life to fully identify with the plight of the Jewish prisoners, to be able to share and to give a report to the world about what was going on. What kind of man would do that. You know, in our readings this morning, one from Micah and the other from Philippians, we have to ask ourselves the question as Micah does in uh, our reading this morning in verse 18. He says, What kind of God are you? And of course, he's speaking of a God of compassion. A God who would stop at nothing to reach out 
and to touch His people. And of course, we know that that is going to be fulfilled in, in the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ. And in our passage in Philippians, we read uh, about the Incarnation. But just a moment, let's look at our Micah passage. You may recall that Micah was a prophet in the latter part of the 8th century. Now, if you want to read more about the, the historical setting in which he was a prophet, you read 2 Kings chapters 15 through 20 and 2 Chronicles chapters 26 through 30. Now, he had a very lengthy time of service to the Lord. And during that time, there were three kings that he served primarily in the, in the southern kingdom of Judah, the capital Jerusalem, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Uh, he was a contemporary of Hosea, who was a, a prophet to the, the northern kingdom, the capital being Samaria, and of a prophet you're aware of named Isaiah in the southern kingdom. And the theme, really, of the book of Micah is God's judgment and God's forgiveness. It's amazing to see that as this book is divided into three oracles, right, or, or prophecies uh, dealing with both the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah, and talking about God's judgment coming upon both those nations because what? Of their unfaithfulness, because of their sinfulness, because they had turned their back on the Lord. And as he does that, he's addressing a, a, a setting which is bleak and, and dark. Uh, the peoples have wandered away from God uh, socially, economically, uh, politically, religiously, in, in every way. They had turned their backs on the Lord. But God had made a covenant with His people. That covenant goes all the way back, what? To Abraham. And even though the Lord is going to use foreign nations to punish or to discipline His people in order to turn their hearts back towards Him, His real desire is to forgive them and to show compassion. Now, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word compassion means to feel sympathy, to have pity, and to show mercy. And as we get here into chapter 7 of Micah, really beginning in verse 14 all the way through verse 20, which is the end of the chapter, we see the theme that, that God is a faithful God. He's faithful to His covenant. And He is going to gather the remnant of the Jewish nation. And He's going to protect them and He's going to forgive them. Now how is He going to do that? By providing a shepherd King. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we have that great messianic passage that says that that king is going to be born where? In Bethlehem. And he is going to be the ultimate heir to the throne of David. And he will establish a kingdom that will last what? Forever. And in that kingdom, we will see the rule and reign of the sovereign God. 
And so in verse 18, as the prophet is speaking of the compassion of God, he says these words, Who is a God like you? Now it's interesting. Um, his name, Micah, is a derivative of a, a longer word which literally means who is a God like you. So his very name means the very question that he's asking. And who is a God like you, verse 18 of chapter 7, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Now here's verse 19. You will again have compassion on us. You'll have compassion on us. And you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And there's imagery being used here. Uh, Do you remember when Moses was leading his people out of the bondage of Egypt? And as the Egyptian army gave chase, as the Red Sea had parted for the children of Israel to cross, when Pharaoh's army came into the sea, what happened? They were washed away. They were washed away. And here, using that same imagery, Micah is saying, who is a God like you? You are so compassionate that in your compassion, you are going to throw our iniquities into the sea, into the depths of the sea. That in delivering us from the bondage of our sin, of our wrongdoing, you, as a compassionate God, will cast them into the depths and set us free from those things, offering us forgiveness. And this is pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's our, that's our what? Our Micah passage. But then we turn to Philippians in the New Testament. And we read from Philippians chapter 2 about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And in verse 5 it says this, In your relationships with another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And what you'll see here is that servant, Jesus Christ, is, is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who would give his very life to demonstrate the compassion of God. And being found in the appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so what we really see in Jesus Christ is God's character. God's character meeting man in the place where he's in desperate need. And what we see here in this passage is that just as Jesus 
displays God's character, those of us who are in Christ, we too are to display His character. And in doing so, we are able to re-gift others with the gift of compassion that we have received from God. Uh, We call that down-to-earth compassion. That God became men and He dwelt among us as the ultimate demonstration of His love, of His mercy, of His compassion, that He wouldn't leave us in in the state of, of darkness, in our sinfulness, in our separation from God. That no, He would come to earth and display down-to-earth compassion. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It really describes what we're talking about. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Who is a God like you? That Micah would ask. Ultimately, that would come and exchange the riches and the glory of heaven. And become a man, and by doing so, fully God, fully human, would experience the absolute poverty of sinful human condition. And yet, He was without sin. And because of that, He was able to be both shepherd, king, but also the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for us that we might have forgiveness of our sins. And so Jesus, in Matthew 9, 35-36, it says, "...when through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom." And then with that proclamation, He gives a a tangible manifestation of the kingdom by healing every disease and sickness. And when He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, The people were in desperate need of of a righteous shepherd who would lead them into life. And as we we see Jesus, who is that shepherd, He is what? The promised suffering uh, servant of Isaiah 53. Uh, He also is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Ezekiel 34, where where God, he, He chastises the religious leaders of Israel. And He says, you know what? You've neglected My sheep. You've not cared for them. You know, they've been, they've been sick and you haven't healed them. They're hungry. You haven't fed them. You haven't nurtured them. You haven't loved them. You haven't cared for them adequately. And so, in Ezekiel 34, the Lord says, I'm tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to feed my own sheep. I am going to be a shepherd to my people. And as for you, shepherd of Israel, I will feed you with my judgment. And so here in the person of Jesus Christ is... King and shepherd, we see the Word of God through the prophets fulfilled. And it's interesting that that Jesus demonstrates authority over disease, over demons, over death, over nature itself. 
And in all those things, yield to the authority of Jesus Christ. And yet, it's the heart of men and women who remained resistant to that authority and refused to yield. In Colossians 3, verse 12, which really parallels our our 2 Corinthians passage, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with what? Compassion. Compassion. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In other words, clothe yourselves with the same compassion that you have received from God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about regifting Christmas, we're talking today about compassion. And we're talking about taking that, that compassion. The compassion that we've received from God. And virtually wearing that. In other words, it's a part of our own character as we imitate Christ's character. As the Spirit of God lives in us. And so we live out of that same character. And the center of that character is our compassion. Now there's three things in the Philippian passage that tell us how we do that in verses 6 and 7. The first thing we see is selflessness. Selflessness. If we're going to be a compassionate people, if we're going to re-gift others with the compassion that we've received from God, then we are called to be selfless. Selfless. To put others ahead of ourselves. To be willing to go and to meet them in places that may be uncomfortable for us, but places where they're in desperate need. And it's our selflessness that allows us to do that. Just again, as Paul writes in Corinthians 8 9, Jesus Christ, that though he's rich, yet for your sake, our sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's the selflessness of God through Jesus Christ. And that's what He calls us to if we're going to re-gift others with compassion. The second thing is humility. Humility. Christ was not only selfless, but He was what? Humble. Imagine the incarnation. God. What? Coming to earth. Becoming a man. Dwelling and living among us being born in a manger with animals. No fanfare except for the angels that that heralded His arrival. But Jerusalem slept. His coming almost went unnoticed. Humility. And in His life, coming and entering into what? Humanity. Can you imagine the kind of humility that it would take to do that? And not doing that in His deity, but in in His humanity. Meeting us at eye level. Flesh pressing flesh. 
getting involved in the, the muck and the mire right, of the world. Uh, the earthiness. That's down-to-earth compassion. And, and God calls us to do the same thing. I remember years ago in, in the church where Lori and I served, I was the youth pastor. Uh, there was a home across the street for the church for blind and uh, emotionally and mentally disabled adults. Okay? It was called Climb. And uh, every Sunday there would be a contingent of the residents who would come and they would sit in the morning service. And uh, there was one young man named Dennis. And Dennis would come. Obviously, he couldn't see himself as he got ready in the morning. He, he wasn't able to look in the mirror. And his hair was disheveled. Um, his clothes, oftentimes he was very unkept. Um, sometimes he'd have a runny nose. And, and his shoes would be untied. And he would sit there. In the pew at church, he just kind of rocked back and forth and he would listen to the pastor giving the message. And, and I remember one Sunday morning, Dennis was in particularly bad shape. I mean, his hair was really messed up. His clothes were really disheveled. His shoes were untied. He had a runny nose. And, uh, there he sat before service and, and a lot of people walked up to him and said hello to Dennis and he'd reply hello back. And, He'd call you uh, my dear one. He'd say something like this. He'd say, hello, Pam Swanberg, my dear one. And it literally sounded like that. Uh, and people would pass by Dennis. But on one Sunday morning, I'll never forget, uh, the image is still in my mind. Lori gets down on a knee. And she looks Dennis right in the eye, face to face. And she says, Dennis, your nose is running. She pulls out of her pocket a, a Kleenex. And, and she wipes his nose. And then she says, Dennis, can I, can I tie your shoe? And she bends down and she ties his, his shoe. Uh, and, and there meets Dennis right where he is. And what does she do? She ministers to some basic needs. Needs that others saw that morning and walked by and chose not to address. And I am so grateful that as Jesus Christ entered the world, right? That He got down on a knee, if you will, to look us right in the eye, to see our, our runnied nose, our disheveled appearance, our shoe that's untied, the brokenness of our human condition. And what does He do? He reaches out to touch us. And in doing so, to change us. That's down-to-earth compassion. That's the love of God displayed in action. That is seeing the need and going to meet people at their point of deepest need. Now, you know what? Most people didn't see that happen that morning with Lori and Dennis. And oftentimes, as we are called to re-gift people with the compassion of God, most people 
aren't going to see that either. But you know what? God sees it. And it blesses Him. And He calls us to that. He calls us to display the very nature, the compassion, the love of His Son, Jesus Christ. That as God's character was present in Christ, so Christ's character would be present in us. Do you know that every year there are unused gift cards that remain unredeemed? Did you know that? 39.2% of shoppers will purchase a a department store gift for friends and family, followed by 33.4% of shoppers opting for a restaurant gift card. But according to estimates reported in the Journal of State Taxation, the typical American home has an average of $300 in unused or unredeemed gift cards. These cards are often misplaced, accidentally thrown out, or only partially redeemed. Between 2005 and 2011, $41 billion in gift cards went unused. Is that amazing? Think about that. That people possess this riches and treasures that go unused. Well, Jesus demonstrates that if we're going to have down-to-earth compassion, we need to demonstrate humility. We need to demonstrate selflessness. But finally, we need to demonstrate obedience. God has gifted us with His compassion. But here's the question. As we think of Advent and as we think of re-gifting others with that gift of compassion that, that we have received, as we remember that our lives are not our own, that we've been purchased with a price, the blood of God's own Son, Jesus Christ, as we are called, what, to live into Christ's character, to follow His example, to join Him in our worlds, to get down on one knee and meet people where they are. Here's the question. Is the gift of compassion that God has given us, is that gift going to remain unused? Is it going to be a a treasure that, that we possess that God gives us so that we might spend it in an ultimate display of His compassion in the lives of those around us. Whether that's in the workplace or at school, in the neighborhood, here in the church, in your own families, or like the gift cards. Will the riches of God's compassion that He's gifted us with to bless others will it remain unused? We're called to re-gift Christmas. And you know what? It's the one kind of re-gifting that is not only socially acceptable, 
but it's acceptable in heaven. Hallmark has a phrase, but when you care enough to give the very best. Isn't that their tagline? When you care enough to give your very best. I think our tagline as God's people who have received the gift of His compassion would be that we care enough, right, to give our very best. There's a connection between Micah and Philippians that I'd never seen before. And I don't know about you, but when you study Scripture and something just jumps out at the page on you, you go, oh, it like takes your breath away. I had one of those moments when I was preparing for the message today. In our passage, Micah 18, it says, what? Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? And then, in our Philippians passage, in verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. So that Michael proclaims, Who is a God like you? But what Paul is encouraging, exhorting in Philippians, is that as we display God's character, his compassion. As we regift others, that people would see us and say, Who are a people like you? And they could say that about us because we're living into and we are regifting others with that compassion that God Himself has demonstrated and given us. And so we say, who is a God like you? And because you live in us and have called us to re-gift others, the world would see us and say, who is a people like you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gift of compassion, for your desire to, to meet us in our point of deepest need and in the disheveled experience of our sin and brokenness, you get down on a knee and you reach out and you touch us and you make us whole. Lord, who is a God like you? And our desire is that as we re-gift others for the gift of compassion that we have received from you, that the world would look at us as followers of Jesus Christ and they would say the same thing about us. Who? is a people like you. Lord, may that be true of us as we re-gift Christmas. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.